good. Maybe just turn me down a little bit, Mike. For those of you not sure what's going on, do things a little bit different. This isn't church. You're meant to come in and be quiet and sing a hymn and, you know, take up the offering and do all that kind of stuff. Where's Yvonne? She's out there. Um, for those of you who didn't see the Facebook post on, our, on the prayer page, um, you remember we prayed for little Emma, their new little baby, a few weeks ago, because she had a problem, the doctors had identified a problem with her hip, and, uh, and they were going to have to put her in a brace and, you know, do an operation later and all of that kind of stuff. And so it was looking fairly serious, and we prayed for her, and she went back for a scan last week, and they don't have to do a thing. In actual fact, the, the reason why they wanted to do it all was because there's no cartilage. She had no cartilage in her hip. And, it's, and when they did the last scan, is that right, Luke? When they did the scan, she's got all this cartilage that suddenly has grown there and appeared. I mean, that's a, that's a miracle. Because that, that doesn't just happen, you know, in, in, in a few days. That is a miraculous healing that's taken place where God has caused you know, that hip to, to form now the way it's meant to. God is so good. Amen? Has anyone else got anything that they can share? Something that's a good testimony, because that's a good one. You don't have to, it's not a competition, you don't have to compete with that. All right. <clears throat> if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to um, Psalm 133. Let's go there. <clears throat> we are <clears throat> we are governed by laws um, there are natural laws and there are laws that get put in place by people by the government and, and so on I mean natural laws if you, if you decide to jump off a 10 story building then the law of gravity is going to dictate that you are going to fall at a quite a rapid pace. And it's not the fall that hurts, it's when you stop. You're going to suffer the consequences of not recognising a particular law that is in place. All right? There's the law of gravity. There's the law of lift that enables aeroplanes to fly. There's... There are, there are laws of physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction for those of you who went to school. If you decide to speed and you get caught, there's a consequence because you have broken the law that says you can't go over a certain you know, speed and you're going, to pay the, you're going to pay the fine or you could lose your licence. If you break other laws, if you murder or rob or steal or hurt someone, there's a chance you could go to jail. You're going to suffer the consequences of those laws. It is the same in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not talking about the laws of Moses. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments or 
you know, those other 600-odd laws that got put in place to the ceremonial laws and all the rest of it. But God does have laws. Perhaps a better word to use would be the word principle. Rule through Scripture, God puts in place certain principles that actually help us live. They're not religious laws for us to follow. So please don't get confused about that. I'm not saying we've all got to be law keepers now and go back to the law. But there are principles that God has put in place. You know, a river will only flow well and properly if it's, if it's contained within the banks of that river. If, it does, if a river doesn't have banks, that water spreads out and it ends up becoming a swamp and the only thing that grows there is mosquitoes. It's pretty useless. But for a river to actually flow and get to where people need the water, you've got to have banks for that river to flow in. And the principles that God has given us through his word for us to follow are like the banks of a river that allow his river that flows from the throne of God to flow through our lives, into our lives, and through our lives so that it blesses other people. Amen? There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of darkness. And one is the kingdom of light and of peace and of joy and of goodness and of the love of God, of the power of God, of the eternal life and the righteousness of God. And the other is the kingdom of darkness. It is ruled by Satan. It is a kingdom of evil. It's a kingdom of, of pain, of suffering. But it, it, it masquerades as a kingdom of freedom. You can just do what you want. But there's a cost. There's a cost to that pseudo-freedom because you're not really free. You actually would be under the control of the devil, but you think you're free. But the other one is a kingdom that actually has principles and boundaries that if you don't understand them, you would see them as a control mechanism, but they're not. They are boundaries within which to live that release life and joy and peace. Amen? And so there are some things in Scripture that we really need to understand. And if we choose, if we position ourselves to then live within those boundaries, then the Bible offers us some incredible blessings. And I want to show you one of those today. So let's have a look here at... at um, Psalm 133. It says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There is a promise of blessing that pours out, that flows out from God in abundance when we live within the boundary of unity. It's a guaranteed blessing. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to pour out abundance upon your life as you learn to live together in harmony and in unity. 
And that's a principle that God has set. It's a boundary for us to live within. What happens when people don't live in unity? Well, we end up with all kind of anger and hatred and wars and, and, and people get destroyed and hurt. But when we learn to live in harmony together, in unity together, there's, a, there's, there's, there's the provision is there for amazing blessing to be poured out upon us. And so the writer here uses that example of anointing oil. When the priest would come to be anointed for service and ministry, they would, have to, they would stand be, be, um, in the middle of the, of the council of elders and of the, of the other priests, and they would take four and a half litres of oil and pour it over the head and just keep pouring and pouring and pouring until all of that oil was drained. You're wet. <laughs> you are saturated. That oil gets into your eyes, gets into your nose, your mouth, your ears. It covers you. It goes all over your clothes. There's such an abundance that it ends up pooling on the ground around you. You're standing in that oil. And then when the priest would actually move, he's leaving footprints of that anointing oil wherever he goes. There's such an abundance. And that's, that's the promise that God has. He paints this picture. He says, I am, if you learn to live in unity, then there is going to be such an abundance of my blessing that is going to pour out upon you that it's actually going to be visible. It's going to affect everything, every aspect of your life. You will see things differently. You'll hear things differently. You'll even smell things differently. You know, you can look at what's going on around in this world and you, you can look at the condition of, of, of things right now and you can say there's a horrible stench. And, and that wouldn't be far from the truth. In a lot of ways, I mean, there's some stinking stuff that's going on. But you know, when God, when God begins to pour out the blessing of his anointing upon you, you see things differently, you hear things differently, you can even smell things. You know, what's that saying? Go out and smell the roses? Start to see the good things that God has in store. See the blessings that are coming. Hear his voice. Begin to... Enjoy the fragrance of heaven that is available to you. It goes into your mouth. You speak differently. It goes all over your clothes so that in actual fact you start to look. What happens when, when you rub oil on? What happens to your skin? It goes soft, but there's something else that happens when you look at it. It goes shiny. You start to glisten, don't you, when you put that oil on. Under the anointing, under the blessing of the anointing that gets poured upon you, you start to look different. It affects how you live. It affects how you walk. You start to leave a trail of blessing behind you. And that's the promise of God for you and I. Wouldn't you like to live in that level of blessing every day? Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to live... See, the anointing of God that flows from his throne, that's, that's for you and I. The anointing is the supernatural enablement of God for life. And we need his anointing. We need it every day. You cannot, you cannot go through a, life, a day in this life 
without the anointing of God. Many times he's actually poured it on us and we haven't even recognized it or realized it. You get to the end of the day and you think, look, you look at what's happened during that day and how did I get through that? Because God actually was pouring out anointing on you and giving you grace and enablement to get through that day. And sometimes it's not at the, until the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the year that you realize, man, God was actually protecting me. He was just doing something in my life the whole way through. And yeah, there were some difficult times, but man, I wouldn't have got, got through any of it if it wasn't for the fact that he was blessing me with his anointing. You ever had days like that? Yeah. Weeks like that? Months like that? Years like that? <laughs> I've given you some of my testimony, testimony um, previously on, on just different things that have happened in my life where I should be dead, literally should be dead. And yet it's like suddenly God steps in and, and physically saves me. That's the blessing of God. And we can become more aware of that and live in more and more of that as we live as we choose to live within the boundaries that God has established for us, right? They are not religious laws. We're not going back to the law of Moses, but they are principles that God has set in place. The covenant of marriage is something that, was, that, that God established long before the law, that when we live within the boundaries that God has established for marriage, your marriage gets blessed. Choose to live outside of that, and chaos reigns. So there are principles that God has put in place that will release blessing. Now there's, there's three kinds of unity. And the Bible talks about living in unity, living in harmony. There are three kinds. One, it's unity with God. Unity with God. That's where it starts. There's unity within yourself. And then there's unity with others. You know, we've got a lot of people uh, in the religious world who are trying to make a big thing and trying to do all of this stuff to bring the world's religions together. You know, and so they will compromise on truth for the sake of what they call unity. And it's it's pseudo-unity. There is no genuine unity in it because unity starts with God, the one true God, not a falsified God, not a distorted God. And unless there's an agreement on actually who that one God is, right? Who is God? Three in one. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And if you take the Holy Spirit away, do you have God? You take Jesus away, do you have God? No. You have a distorted view of God. It is not God. And so you will never have genuine unity with different religious groups when they can't get the fundamentals right and agree on who God is. So unity starts with God. We are, have to be in union with God. 
Just turn to Romans chapter 6 with me. Adam and Eve created perfect, put in a perfect garden in perfect union with God. And sin came. Their decision to, to, to disobey what God had said, to distrust God, what did, they stepped outside of the boundaries that God had established. And when you step outside of the, of the boundaries, what happens? The blessing stops flowing. And they sinned. They rebelled against God and they stepped outside of what God had established. And their union with God was broken. Look here, Romans 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Talking about Jesus, right? So we were buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. One we, 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 we were translated out of a kingdom of darkness with no union with God and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son he loves, into the kingdom of God, in union with God through Jesus. <clears throat> if we have, look at what it says, if we have been united with him, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. What have we died to? Selfish ambition, our own self-righteousness, you know, um, our old sinful ways, our old rebellion against God, you know, that old I can go it alone syndrome. Or we die to all of that and we chose to become united with Christ so that his life could flow through us. And Paul understands that and he says, guys, you know, when you make a decision for Jesus, you become united with him. In fact, Paul writes later in, in Corinthians and he says, uh, or in Colossians, says that you, yeah, Corinthians, you are now one spirit with Jesus. Some translations have changed that and they've said, uh, you are now one in spirit. You know, I say, you kind of agree. That's the way that it gets interpreted. You know, you're one in spirit. You know, if we agree on something, we could say, I'm one in spirit with someone else. But that's not what Paul wrote. He actually wrote, you are one spirit. So this union that you and I have, folk, with Jesus, with God, is not a theory. It is a deep spiritual transaction that takes place in the depths of our very being that you are now one with Jesus. That's unity. That's real unity. You are, one, you are in, in, in actual fact, when you look at the real meaning of the word, what it means is this, is that you are entwined into and twisted into the very spirit and nature of God. 
How do you see yourself? Do we actually see ourselves like that? See, if we started to see ourselves like that, all these things are boundaries. The way you think about a truth establishes a boundary in your mind. If you saw yourself completely entwined and twisted, united with the Spirit of Jesus so that you are one, you could start walking in that anointing where you truly do leave behind a trail of blessing for others to walk in. See, Jesus understood that when he came as a man, as a man, he understood, I am united with my Father. And so he walks in the, he's united with the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate the three. He's intrinsically entwined and united together so that wherever Jesus walks, the Holy Spirit walks. His power is available. And that's why Jesus went around doing what? Destroying the works of the devil, setting people free, healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil, miracles, signs and wonders wherever he went, the love of God being poured out of his life, touching and affecting people all around him. And he did it all as a man because he understood, I am intrinsically entwined with the Spirit of God. Folk, it would change, radically change the way that we live. It would give us such confidence in life. You have a decision to make. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. What do I do? No, actually, I have the mind of Christ. And I can rely on the discernment and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to make a decision. We need wisdom in this life. Amen? There's a lot of confused people out there. We need to be a people of wisdom and discernment. Well, you can be. The benefits of our union with Christ, sin is done away with. The curse or penalty has been dealt with. Death, spiritual death no longer holds us. We are new creations. Freedom has come. We've been accepted. We've been given a new life in Christ. We have access to heavenly power. A new life of fellowship with God begins. Jesus says in John 14 that if you believe in me, what is it? To believe in Jesus is not to believe in a theory. It's to believe that I have been entwined and twisted together with the Spirit of God. He says if you believe in me, you will do the very things that I've been doing. And then he dares to say in even greater things. And I haven't got a clue what those greater things are. People have tried to explain that away by saying, well, there's more Christians, and so if there's more people who believe, we're just going to see more miracles, and that's the greater thing. I don't think so. That's just an increase in number. That's not an increase in greater. And I have no idea what the greater is, but Jesus says it's possible. How can you do something greater than Jesus? That sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? And yet Jesus said it. And I don't think he was just talking about numerical numbers. He was talking about something more than that, and I have no idea what it is. I want to find out. Huh? 
I mean, I'm sure that we would all be pretty happy if we could just do what Jesus did. <laughs> we, as a church, prayed for little Emma. We didn't heal her. God did. But we positioned ourselves where we looked to Jesus. We stayed within the boundaries that he established. What is one of those boundaries? Faith. Faith. And we put our faith and our trust in what he could do and we simply chose to be obedient in what he says to do. What? Look to me and release healing. And when we do that by faith, what happens? He releases healing. He pours it out through that channel and a little baby gets radically, miraculously healed. You know, folk, we could see that every single day. If we just look with anointed eyes to see the real needs around us and then just respond within those boundaries of faith and obedience. Understanding, man, I am united with Christ and that makes anything possible. Anything possible. I think it's a sad thing when people talk about, you know, oh, God's going to bless me and the immediate thought is he's going to bless me financially and everything just turns to finance. You know, I'm going to get all the money I want. I'm going to get that new car. I'm going to get that big house. Man, that's, that, that is at the bottom of the ladder in terms of what God wants to really bless you with. That's at the bottom. How pathetic, really, when we, when we lower our expectation of blessing to money. Man, we're not thinking, we're not seeing with anointed eyes. We're not thinking straight. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have been. So that means that it's available. Every single one of us have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So why aren't we walking in it? Because we don't see ourselves as being entwined in imperfect union with God. And so we end up spending all of this emotional energy and this religious activity trying to get God to give us something that he's already given us. And that's why I think so much of our prayer life at times is actually pointless. And, and because it's not praying in faith. See, part of praying in faith is recognizing what God has already done. It's recognizing what he's already given to us. And so faith then becomes a response of thanks in what God has already done and already supplied and then acting on what he's already done. Instead of begging God, oh, would you please do this? Would you please do this, God? And that's, what, that's why Jesus, he doesn't say pray that people would be healed. He just says go heal them. If you're praying for something that God has already supplied, that is not a prayer of faith. That's a faithless prayer. 
And we think that God is going to respond because we think we're doing the religious thing. And there's no faith in it. And God will only respond to faith. You with me? It makes sense? All this changes. All our perspective on all of this changes when we understand that we are in union with Christ. And so it all starts there. It all starts with our union with Jesus. Romans 10, uh, verse 8 and 9, or 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Another verse that's been a little bit twisted again by religion, because this, and I've, I think I've, I've explained this before, but this idea that um, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Who's ever heard that saying? It gets pre it's preached all the time. If he's not Lord of all of your life, then he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord at all, what does that mean? According to that scripture, you're not saved. And it puts such pressure on people, religious pressure to try and perform, to make sure Jesus is Lord of every aspect of our life. Now, that's, that's a great principle, and it's one that we should hold to. We should be saying, God, if there's anything in my life where, where you are not sovereign and not reigning in my life, then would you help just deal with that? Because I want you to be ruling in every aspect of my life. But how many of you know that, that sanctification is both an instantaneous thing that happens and it's a progressive work? It's actually both. So the day you receive Jesus, you are declared holy and righteous. Right? That's a done deal. But we all know that we don't always live righteous and holy lives. There's stuff that we do at times that is clearly wrong. It's against the nature of God. It's clearly not demonstrating the life of Jesus. So what we do is we end up living with this bit of a credibility gap. We know this is what I'm meant to be. I'm meant to actually live a holy life like Jesus, but this is where I'm actually living. And so we have this credibility gap. Religion tries to fill that credibility gap by changing you. External behavior modification. If we can get you to change things about you. You know, so we've got all of these religious programs that will put you through to get you to try and become more like Jesus. Now, actually, folks, the credibility gap is filled by grace. It's grace that fills that gap. Jesus fills that gap so that we can live free from the pressure to try and perform through some religious thing, to try and close that gap. But there's also a reality that the Bible says that, that we, are being, we are being transformed and certainly should be being transformed into the image of Jesus. That is a progressive thing. That is walking out your salvation. Right? It's allowing the reality of that internal transaction that has taken place, that instant 
sanctification, to actually now begin to bear fruit and to be evidenced out of our life. And that is a continual progressive walk so that we are now being transformed into the image of Jesus where people see that. All right, you understand that? What does that mean? Practical things. Well, we receive Jesus, so we say Jesus is Lord, but now we know, hey, you know, in practical reality, there's a whole lot of areas in my life that need to change where he truly becomes Lord in a practical sense. So, so don't let people put you under this pressure of if he's not Lord of every aspect of your life, he's not Lord of all. That is a lie that's actually that put people under condemnation. Now, he is Lord. I have chosen to declare him as Lord. But I know from a practical reality, there's aspects of my life where he is becoming Lord more and more and more in my life. But it doesn't mean I'm not saved. It means I'm progressively being changed. But in all of that change and in all of the process of that change, the way God sees me is perfectly holy. That should give me confidence then to walk out this life of salvation. And the fear and trembling that people associate with that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, be afraid of God. Rubbish. We're not to be afraid of God at all. That fear and trembling that Paul talks about in Philippians, you can look at it. It's back in, uh, I can't remember where. Maybe Isaiah somewhere. When you understand what that is, that fear and trembling is not being afraid of God. It's actually being in absolute awe of God at his goodness towards you. That his blessing is getting poured out and through your life so much that you're just, you're just shaking in amazement. That's what it means. You've recognized the goodness of God. And now I want to see that actually translate into how I live. It's not walking around with some weird shaking. Right? Man, when the Holy Spirit comes on you in power, sometimes your body just does shake. Let's go to John 17. Let's look at one more scripture. The more, the more we align ourselves with his will, with his desires, with his truth, the more then we position ourselves and the more of the reality of our union with him becomes visible and has effect in our life. Look here, John 17, um, verse 1. It says, After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might have, uh, give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do and now Father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me 
out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. You, we've accepted the words that have come from Jesus. Amen? They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So that they may be one as we are one. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. People have used that verse to try and bring out, bring a pseudo-unity between church groups or between religions or between people, and that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. He is talking about a personal union between you and the Father. That's the oneness that he is talking about. So that all other unity that is possible, that could happen, is all going to come out of that unity we have with Jesus. Amen? That's where it starts. A whole lot more we could talk about on that. <coughs> Excuse me. Aridite has, has got um, two components to it. It's a glue. You know, many of you have probably used it. You've got a body material and then you've got a catalyst. And you've got to mix the two together and make sure they're well mixed before that glue begins a chemical reaction so that it actually works. It does what it's meant to do. <coughs> we have all the promises of God. And then we've got us. We've got God the Father the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then we've got us. Our decision to submit to his truth is the catalyst that mixes with the promises of God that makes all things possible. It's as we come in submission into the boundaries that God has established Man, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So there's our union with God. And we could talk for years about that. But the second area of unity is unity within ourselves. And I say within ourselves because if you don't have an inner unity, you're going you're gonna to live a schizophrenic type of life. 
you know, the story of, 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 of two mates and they're out fishing. And um, in a little boat out on a lake. And uh, one of these guys, he hooks onto this massive fish and he's reeling it in. He's fighting it for an hour. He finally gets it up to the boat and, and he's leaning over the boat to try and pull the fish in. And the, this big fish does this last minute, you know, sweep of its tail to try and get away. And the guy gets pulled into the water and he can't swim. So he's flailing around, panicking, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's going under, and, he, and he's crying out, save me, save me. And his mate leans over the boat, and he, the only thing he can see just on the surface of the water is the guy's hair. So he grabs a handful of his hair, and he pulls it to try and pull him out of the water, and his hair comes off. He's wearing a toupee. And, 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 and the guy's flashing around the water. He says, you can float on your back. You can float on your back. So the guy's trying to position himself so he can float and not go under and drown. And he gets up and his leg flies up. And so the guy grabs his leg and tries to pull him in the boat with his leg. His leg comes off. And he's, he just realized, oh, yeah, he's, a, he's an amputee. He, had a, he was in the war and he lost his leg in the war. And he pulls... And, and, and the guy's in the water and he's flailing around and he's, he's going under seemingly for the last time. And he puts his hand up and the guy, his mate, grabs his hand and he pulls him by the arm to pull him back in the boat. And his arm comes off. He's got a false arm and a false leg and false hair. The guy says, save me, save me says, well, how can I save me? How can I save you when you won't stick together? And it's a bit like that for us sometimes. The offer of salvation is there for people all the time. But there's such conflict within them. They're not sticking together. They haven't got a rational thought. And you know, you can be saved and yet internally have such turmoil that you're falling apart. That whenever an offer of help comes out to take you, to lift you, just another part of you falls off because you don't know how to hold it together. You know, there's been, there's been such demonstrations of love and, and care that, that have come out of this church, out of people in this church, towards people. And many people have appreciated that and have lived in the blessing of that. But you know, for other, some other people, they just haven't known how to receive that. They haven't known how to accept that love. And you can get frustrated because you're pouring all this stuff out of you all the time. You're wanting to show them the love and the goodness of Jesus, but it's not being received. Now, why is that? Why do people sometimes have a, have a problem with receiving that love and that blessing that is flowing towards him? Why? Because of internal conflict. They don't feel worthy. Or they're judgmental, so they're judging what is being offered. And so there's, there, for many people, there's this, this internal conflict that's going on all of the time. People are not, you know, they're not happy with themselves. They look in the mirror and say, I don't like what I see. 
they're not happy with their job, they, that, that, that looking for fault all the time, or, the, or, or they can see as fault. And so much of it is because of this internal conflict that is going on, where they're not at peace, they're not in union within themselves. Mental institutions, hospitals are full of people just like that. Why are people on antidepressants and, and so many medications to try and control all of these emotional feelings and stuff that's going on? Because there's no inner unity within them. And, and what's amazing to me and what is sad to me is that even Christians can suffer like that. And the reason that there is this disunity within themselves is either, one, because they're not in union with Christ, which means they're not saved, or they may be saved and they have no revelation of that union and what it means. No revelation of the grace of God, no revelation of the goodness of God, no revelation of what it means to be saved, which is why we just spent the last four weeks going through what it is, you know, what happens at salvation that we understand what happens at that transaction and how God now sees you. So this inner disunity that goes on can cause such turmoil within us. You know, Jesus, Jesus tells the stories, that the parable of um, Mary and Martha. You know, that, you know that story? Jesus is coming to town and he's going to Martha's house for a meal. And, you know, people are gathered around, family and, and stuff. And, and, uh, and Martha wants to impress everyone. She wants, she wants to put on a good show because, man, someone important is coming. Jesus is coming. And so she's, she, she gets all flustered. And she gets, gets angry because Mary won't help her. Mary chooses just to sit at Jesus' feet. She just wants to be at Je with Jesus. She wants to hear what he has to say, and she wants to give him her full attention. And Mary gets angry, Martha gets angry. And actually, Jesus, it, it looks like she's doing the right thing. I mean, she's wanting to serve. She's wanting to serve Jesus. She's wanting to serve the people. And we can, we can get very involved in wanting to serve the purposes of God, but we do it not recognizing that the most important thing is God himself. You can get all involved in wanting to serve Jesus that you completely forget about Jesus. Hello? And Jesus recognized that. And so she, he, he, he says to Martha, he says... Martha, you're distracted and you're frustrated and you're getting angry and you're getting worried about a whole lot of stuff that is irrelevant. Oh, but Jesus, we've got a house full of people and they need to be fed. Yeah, but I'm here. I'm the bread of life. And your food is irrelevant compared to what I can give them. So Jesus discerns this disunity that's happening because 
she, she wants to be with Jesus, but she got distracted by a whole lot of other stuff thinking this is what's important. You know, that's exactly what religion does. It gets us distracted with a whole lot of stuff that we think is important, but actually is totally irrelevant. And so Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen, chosen. She's made a choice for what is better. What was the better? In that point in time, it was to sit at Jesus' feet. You know, we need, I said earlier, we need discernment and wisdom. We need to know those times where actually right now, the best thing I can do, the most important thing for me to do is just to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear him rather than get too busy in order the religious activity that is going to go nowhere. So how do, you, how do you develop that inner unity within you where you're at peace? Because the kingdom of heaven, if the kingdom is ruling in our life, what is the kingdom? Righteousness? I think we pretty much know in this place that God sees us as righteous. I think for most of us, we've got that one down pat. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. So I think we're convinced of the righteousness one, but we don't always live in peace. And we sure don't always live in joy. But there's a progression. You will never live in joy if you're not at peace. And you've got to be at peace within. And that peace within comes from understanding that you're righteous. So when you understand, oh, I'm in perfect union with God, that releases his peace in my life that will overflow as joy. Amen? So how do we get that? How do we, how do we get this blend of all of those three things happening in our life all the time? Well, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all these things will be added unto you. You know, people are so caught up with, you know, wanting the latest thing, the latest car, you know, the latest boat, a bigger house, a better career, more money. And we've got all of these. And, and I want to say there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But then at the same time, those same people can get so caught up with wanting all of those things and yet at the same time they say yeah but I want to serve Jesus you know I want to I want to see his power in my life I want to see people blessed through what I do and you can end up with this with this schizophrenic thing of of well which one is the priority and if we're honest most of the time the priority ends up going on this side and yet Jesus says, now actually, if you make the priority me, if you make the priority my kingdom, all of this stuff is going to come to you. But all the effort that you're putting into trying getting all of this, you're getting distracted and worried and anxious, and the better thing 
is over here. It's the Mary and Martha thing. And until we can settle that, we'll never have inner unity and we'll never know that perfect peace and a life of joy. You with me? So what's the solution? It's learning to sit at Jesus' feet. It's learning to actually draw from him and allowing him to be the source of our life and having that desire, Lord, I just want to live for your kingdom. I want to live for you and I want your life to flow through me. But it starts with that union with him, being in union with him and then being so convinced of what that means and getting revelation of that, that it begins to flow through our life. Amen? It all starts by sitting at his feet. Sitting at his feet. So I want to encourage us all, not in a religious way. Please don't try and establish some religious program. But I want to encourage us all, spend some time with God. And that can be different for every single person in this room. For some people, it's, it's setting that alarm clock a little bit earlier and getting up and just having some time with Jesus. For other people, it's turning the radio off in the car and every time you get in that car and start driving around, even with everything else that's going on around, you know, you can, you can, you can make that car a bubble of the glory of God. There's a whole lot of different ways where we can just shift our mind and our heart and focus on Jesus at any moment of the day. And it doesn't have to become a religious thing. It becomes a natural thing that's just part of our everyday life. Amen? You know, Jesus didn't walk around as this religious figure with this aura around him, you know, that, that everyone thought, ooh, comes G Jesus was a man. And he ate, and he slept, and he went to the toilet. And for a whole bunch of years before he started ministry, he banged nails into bits of wood with a hammer. He lived a normal kind of life. And only three years was he did he minister. Three and a half years. Ministry, whatever it is that God's called us to do, should become a natural part of our everyday life. So you don't discard everything else and throw that away. And, oh, I've got to be so religiously minded and spiritually minded. Set my heart. No, it's actually part of all of this, which is why I said the other week, Let's not try and compartmentalize our life where we've got a spiritual life and a natural life. That actually the two should be blended together to become one. Old saying that we've used many, many times, Kay would know this one, our life should be so naturally supernatural. Supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. That's how we should live. Where does it start? Sitting at his feet. Union with him. 
so that we can have unity within. So then, unity with one another flows out of those two. And we'll look at that next week. Okay? You good? I trust that's helpful. I trust that's helpful. Living within the boundaries that God has established. Not religious laws, boundaries of truth that will help us prosper. For there I will command the blessing. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, we just pray over this week, everything that's going to happen during the course of this week, everything we put our hand to, every person we meet, every activity we're involved in, may you be glorified in some way and may people be blessed through our life. Amen. Let's pray for Pam. She's not well and Paul also is in hospital and I know there's other people out and I know where they are, if they're sick or, or not. But Father, we just lift Pam up before you, Lord, with this infection that she has, that in the name of Jesus we speak to that infection and say it's illegal, has no place in her body, has no right to be there. And so we just release and speak healing to her right now in Jesus' name. Father, we pray your peace over Paul and Bernadette right now. Lord, that you would just surround them with your presence, with the family, Father. Let them know your presence. Let them know your touch. Let them know that you're with them every step of the way. We just release blessing upon them right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.